and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Ma'am. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Are you really good though? Are you really? I'm excited to bring the word this morning. I just flew in from Kansas City last night. Spent a few days at the International House of Prayer being encouraged by what God's doing. They did 20, they've done 22 years, listen to this, 22 years of sustained day and night prayer and worship. 22 years of that. So when you walk into that place, it's just incredible what they have sustained. And I was thinking this last night, you know, there's, there really is no place like home. I love to travel, but when I get back to Tampa, Tampa's home. It's home. And I love going, uh, I go different places. I go to Upper Room, been to Bethel, all these places where God is moving and it's amazing. And I go to honor what God has done. God's doing a lot all over the earth. How many of you know God is moving? God is moving. And when I got home last night, I felt like just so encouraged by the Lord that there, there is coming a day where people are going to travel to Tampa to see what God is doing. I'm telling you, it's not just because of Abide. I believe it's a regional thing that God is going to cover a region with his glory, but it, it's, I'm just so encouraged. And just a glimpse, let me just give you like a taste of what's coming. We, how many of you are on our Abide family page on our Facebook? We were praying. There was a young girl here on Wednesday night that was um, leading prayer room with us, and she was releasing 17, 17, 18 years old, very young. She was in here in prayer room releasing, and that night she went into a seizure. And as we were in Kansas City, Pastor Bruno, who is her, her pastor, he let me know. He's like, hey, she had a seizure, and she's like, they're saying she's going to die. And so we started praying. We were just like, I just, we just don't accept that. How many of you know we just don't accept that? We just don't accept that. And so we started praying, and every report we got back was negative. It's like every time it would be more and more negative, and we would just stop in the car and pray. And so they put her into a medically induced coma, and they said, they did a scan. They said, her body is okay. Like there's no internal organ damage, but her brain is like a vegetable. Like she has severe brain damage. And so even if she wakes up, it's not looking good. But again, we don't, we don't receive that because we know Christ has paid for all things. All things. All things. And so last night when we landed in Tampa, we got the report that they did another skin on her brain and she has no brain damage. (laughs) This is our inheritance as kingdom children. This is what we have to walk in. This is where the church is going. It's like we are done trying to self-medicate ourselves with a gospel that makes us feel good. We're going to go all into what God has. We're going to contend and we're just going to reject everything that's not according to his kingdom. We're going to preach the kingdom of God and everything that comes with the kingdom of God. Amen? We just, I just believe that, man. It's, it's crazy. The, the, the last thing talked about when we're talking about the kingdom of God, often when people are talking about the kingdom of God, oftentimes the last thing they talked about is God. It's like we're talking about prophecy and healing. It's all good. We want all prophecy, healing, we want all of it. But we want to know God and all of his fullness and all of his glory, all of his splendor. And we know that he is good. And so when a 17-year-old girl lands in the hospital, we just say no. And we stand in our kingdom authority. Are you alive? Come on. It's a good day. I want to talk to you guys about David today. We've been in a series called Promises, and we felt like as a body, we wanted to pull on the promises of God. We've said this from the beginning. We are people of promise. Let's say that. People of promise. promise. Let's try it again. People of promise. Why do we read the Bible? The the Bible is not just a history lesson for us. It is our family story. 
It is our heritage. It's where, where we came from and where we're going from the beginning to the end. That's why we have confidence because if you read the book, you know how the story ends. No matter, Madeline got up here today. She was talking about when she was going through cancer, how God was saying to her to stay close, to trust, to walk. And I love how she tied it to David. Even though I walk through the, the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Think about that. The, think about the revelation that David had. We're about to go into a story, but think about the revelation he had, how he had to go through difficult times consistently. If you know his story, some mistakes he made, hello, sleeping with a woman he wasn't supposed to. Sometimes it was just external enemies. But in the midst of all of those things, every time he felt the pressure, he looked up and he's like, you're there. Yes. You're there. <laughs> think about that. This, this, this revelation of God being near to you, no matter where you find yourself, is the very thing the enemy is trying to rob you of. It's why you feel the pressure. It's why he wants to throw apathy and complacency and all of this like blah on top of you so you don't see him for who he really is. Think about, we just spent an hour singing about to God, about God, about how we respond to God. And in a room this size, you could feel all kinds of emotions. Why are we singing so long? What's the point? And I often think, man, as a church leader, I'm like, man, my job as a church leader is to prepare you for eternity. And I just want to say for you, what's going to happen in eternity is a whole lot of worship. So if you're struggling with an hour, it's going to be rough for you forevermore. It's forever, it's forevermore. So like we might as well just settle into this thing where we begin to explore who God is and who we are in light of him and allow him to speak to us. And man, I was so moved. We have a school on Tuesday nights called Fully Given. And we were speaking on the orphan spirit and just allowing God to speak to us. And I was just amazed at what happens when you give the Lord space to speak to you about who you are. So we sat every student down, we turned on music, and I said, I want you to put on the left side of the paper everything that the enemy has spoken or that you've believed about yourself. And I want you to write down everything that comes to mind as the Lord will, like, write it down. And then on the other side of the paper, I want you to write down everything that God says about you. And I don't want you to stop until the right side's bigger than the left side. I want you to hear more about what God's saying about you than what the enemy has said about you. And then we began to share, and through tears, right? Through tears, the different ones were sharing. God says, I'm this. God sa and it was just incredible to hear the testimony. Why? Because there's something that happens when you hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you about who you are. There's an awakening, like if you knew who God created you to be, you would never want to be anybody else. This is why the enemy is so busy trying to keep your eyes on other people and social media and all of these things that are driving us. But what, what we want for you, what I want, what, the, what abide, what God wants is for you to be fully you. And so in the context of promises, we were talking about Abraham. How many of you remember how God called Abraham to go? And he gave him this promise, I will make a nation out of you. Like, I will bless those who bless all this beautiful promise tied around. If you go, I will make much of you, Abraham. He changed his name. And then last week, Pastor Todd talked about Moses and how God was trying to move us from a family to a nation of people who were set apart for God. 
This is why we're here. We believe that God has brought you here because he has called you, according to 2 Peter, you are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. Holy. That's who you are. You may not believe that yet, but it doesn't negate who you are. And so then you get to David, these covenant promises, and you see through David, God, God trying to, to, to speak to a nation through Moses, they reject and they go through a difficult time, right? You see this, they go through judges, then they get to kings, and God even says to them, you see, that what's the narrative? We've talked about this. The narrative through, the, the thread throughout the scripture is God wants to dwell with you. He wants to be near to you. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to be in family with you. You see this through Abraham. Abraham, he calls him out. Then Moses, come tell the people to go up the mountain. Why? Because he wants to be with them. It's not that difficult. We've complicated it. The whole premise of this book is there is a God that is jealous. He is jealously in love with you. You're like, yeah, me? Yeah, you. You. And so in the story of David, you see that, that there was a king named Saul, and God rejects Saul. Why does God reject Saul? Because Saul was more interested in fearing man than fearing God. And God told the people, you don't want a king. Let me be your king. <laughs> it's what he's saying to us today. It's like, man, get off the news channels. Get off the garbage. Let me be your king. Let me be. Do you hear that? Let me be your king because Man, man can never rule you the way he can. And so yet, still they said, no, we want a king. So, so God gave them Saul. And Saul was king for a while, but you see through the story of Saul that he begins to make decisions based off of the pressure to try to appease people. And so God rejects Saul, and he tells Samuel, which was one of the greatest prophets in all of the Bible, I have chosen a new man, and I want you to go anoint him. And you see the beginning of a formation of the story of David. And I want to talk about David. Because the covenant promise for David was that through his line, he would make a house. That Jesus, the person that we were just singing about for an hour, the reason that we can stand here and be made whole, would come through David. But I want to focus on why did God choose David? What was it about David that God would say, I'm going to choose you to bring about Jesus? Think about this. This is a big deal. And so Samuel comes, and he, and he comes to Jesse's house, which is the father of David. And you see this storyline playing out. you got to know that in these times when a prophet showed up, it was a big deal. It's not like, like nowadays, man, we got 50 million prophets on our Facebook feed. Everybody's got a word. When a prophet showed up at this time, it was like, crap, what did I do? It was like, I don't... You know, so he shows up and you see it. They're like, what are you doing here? You know, they're like, and he shows up and he begins, he says, listen, from this house will, will, will come the next king. And, and Jesse brings out his children, right? You know the story. And he begins to go through the kids and it's like Samuel, Samuel begins to look at the kids. But God goes, listen, don't look on the outside. I, I'm looking on the inside. And he gives us his revelation about the way God works. And, and it's really important for us to understand today that God's ways are not our ways. Yeah. We choose the easy path that makes sense. Everything has to fit. But God's way looked in this instance like a 13-year-old kid that wasn't even considered a part of the family. So he goes down the line and, and God continually, he says, this is not the one, this is not the one. Finally, Samuel says to Jesse, is there not another one? He goes, yeah, but he's out on the field, man. 
And, and in this time, this was like to be a shepherd, you're, you're, it wasn't a cool job. It's not like you're working for some big, like, you're a shepherd. You, it wasn't like a, everybody wanted to go to war, do this, do that. But, but here's David on a field, right? And many, many people believe that the reason David was out on a field is because, because like he wasn't really a part of the family. Like, think, think about this. Like, a man comes up to your house to anoint the next king of the nation, and you don't even get invited to the party. <laughs> Talk about rejection. But David walks in, and immediately God says, that's the one. And he, and he, and he, and he describes him as a man after his own heart. Think, think about this. What is it about this maybe 13-year-old kid? Think, think about what's happening here. Saul's king. The Bible says Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was handsome. Everything looked right about Saul, yet God had rejected him. And here comes this 13-year-old kid. He's like, <laughs> he walks in, you know, he's like. And all of a sudden, he's being anointed king. This is like us bringing up a 13-year-old and going, this is the new president of our country. This is what's happening. But there was something inside of David that God says, that's the one I'm going to choose to lead my people forward. And many of us, man, I believe this was a very formative time in the life of David. Sometimes we look at rejection and being put aside as, as punishment or isolation. But I believe it was in this time that God was forming. God was forming something where he can say, that I can use. There's something that God does in these seasons where we feel put aside, where we feel passed by, where God, where it's like, it's only us and God. How many of you have been there? It's only us and God. And we want to run to people and ministries and podcasts and books. And God's like, no, 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 no. Let it be me, just me and you. And how do we know, man? How do we know? We, we look through his story, right? He's anointed king. A few years later, you see that there's Goliath. He comes and he stands before Goliath. Goliath is standing there and he's mocking the people of God and everybody's hiding and talking about Goliath and here comes David. He's like, who's this fool? And why is he talking? This is the Geo version. And why is he talking that way about my God? Think about all the people who are qualified to fight Goliath were cowarding and hiding, mocking David for his courage. Yet in that time, God had formed something in the heart of David where he knew who God was and he knew who he was. I believe it was both. It wasn't just that David knew who God was. David knew who he was in God. How do we know? Because the moment he goes and he speaks out, against, the, they say, bring him back. And they try to put armor on him. You remember this? They bring him into the tent and they begin to put Saul's armor, which would have been the best armor in all of the land, on David. And David's like, it doesn't fit. What a lesson, man. What a lesson. Because many of us, we spend seasons God forming in us and building something. Some of the pressures that you've been asking God to deliver you from have formed something in you. A confidence, a dependence. And the moment you get in church, we're like, join the discipleship program. Here's my armor. Oh, I want, we want it, man. Teaching nights, come hear God's voice. But I want you to be you. Yes. Oh, I want you to, and that's what, so David's standing. And it's like the, the most terrible strategy. He's going to go fight. He's like, I got a few rocks in a sling. I'm ready to go. It just doesn't, doesn't add up. But yet you see God use his faith. 
His faith, oftentimes we pray for faith and then we rebuke the, the moment we have to step into an opportunity to use our faith. So, so he kills Goliath, cuts his head off. And then what I want you to see is at 13, 15, it could be debated, God anoints him and gives him a promise that he's going to lead the people, but there is a 17 to 20 year span before he ever steps into this promise. And so much happens. He, he, listen, David was so anointed that Saul, was, who was still king, was being demonically attacked and somebody on his cabinet goes, I heard about this kid named David. And when he plays, the demons leave. Think about that anointing. Think about that. Like he pulls out his little harp and the demons are leaving. So, so he comes and he begins to minister before Saul and it brings peace on Saul. You see David, I want to go through his life real quick. You see David become anointed as the leader of all of the armies and he begins to take territory and everything's good. Everything's good. He's having favor, but then something happens. He goes out and he begins to fight against the armies and win and then all of a sudden there's a song. <laughs> Saul kills his thousands. And Saul's like, yeah, I do. I'm that dude. Yes, I do. He's, and, but all of a sudden, they start singing the second verse. But David kills his tens of thousands. And Saul's like, I don't like that song. <laughs> and you see David, for the next few years, become oppressed by this man who is standing in the very place that he was anointed to stand in. This is important, man, because I believe what we have been taught in the world is you get yours. You do you, and whoever's in your way, that's, that's their problem. But in the life of David, you see him consistently submit to the process. It wasn't, listen, being a man after God's own heart doesn't mean you never make mistakes. And it's not just about men, men and women. Being a person who has a heart for God, you see him making mistakes. It says when all the kings were out to war, David stayed back. And because he stayed back, he slept with Bathsheba. He made mistakes. You see him fleeing. And you see him in one portion of scripture pretending to be insane, clawing at a gate to get in. You see all kinds of things in the, in, in the life of David. But I believe this. That if you really look at the life of David, it was marked by a vow. There was a vow. There was something on the inside of David that I believe was deposited on the inside of him in that season of rejection that would, that would set the course for his whole life. How many of you know your life is going somewhere? Yes. There is a course that your life is going on. The Bible talks about there being a path that seems right to man, but that path leads to destruction. The Bible is consistently talking about this path. And if you don't have an alignment, I believe this is what made David special. Why did God choose David? He, he made a vow to the Lord that set the course for his whole life. It consistently course corrected him. And I want to read that vow. It's Psalms 132. Are you good? This is actually his son Solomon speaking about a vow. It's very interesting that David never recorded the vow himself. It would be his son that would speak about the vow that, that marked the life of David. But I believe the reason that it wasn't written by David, it, it was something that was intimate to him. You know, we're all family, but there are different things I'm going to share with this family than this family. Yeah. 
And I believe this was something that was so intimate to David that he's not just going to blurt it out to everyone. It was something that was between him and the Lord. So let's read this, Psalms 132. Lord, remember David, remember this is Solomon, and all that he suffered. And he made a solemn vow, a promise to the Lord. And he vowed to the mighty one of Israel, I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not sleep or slumber nor close my eyelids until, say until. Until I find a place to build a house for the Lord. Until I find a dwelling place for the Lord. A sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. I believe this vow would be the very thing that would mark the life of David. And I believe it can be the very thing that can mark your life. Hear me. Even when you go to churches, it's all pushing a narrative that's trying, oh, I'll have to share it. I'm going to share it now. I was listening to a story at the conference about a family that had moved from Iran. How many of you know in Iran, there's severe persecution for Christians? Even more so for women than for men. I mean, if you're a woman and you're a Christian, it's like, so this guy, uh, he, 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 he takes all of his money, sells all of his things, and they escape illegally from Iran to come to the United States, and they're living here. They're living their life, and they're actually in the IHOP KC community. And she said after six months of being here, she said she came to her husband crying. She says, I have to go. We have to go back. We have to go back. The husband's like, what are you talking about? Why would we go back to a place where they're raped, killed, abused? Where men look at you. Look at where we are. Look at what we have. We're free. We can go to church. And she says, the problem is, she's crying. She says, it's like there's this lullaby that's lulling us to sleep. It's this demonic thing that's like the passion and the fervor that I once felt for the Lord. I don't feel it anymore. She said, it's this sound that's drawing us to be just this complacent, just, just, it's just, I don't, it doesn't take all that. And she said, I'd rather die in passion than live in apathy. Think about that, man. I believe what you find in the life of David is a man who spent 70 years fighting for what he had in the field. Think about it. You know, the more we do church, it's like the more we were fighting to keep it simple. I do this for a living. That's what I do for a living. I spend more times in prayer rooms. And six months ago, I was laying on a mat. Oh, this is vulnerable time. I was laying on a mat at a conference called Fully Alive, saying, Jesus, I miss you, and crying on a mat. This is how simple things get complicated, how quickly things get complicated if we don't keep it simple. And through the life of David, what you see is a man who is fighting. How do we know when David becomes king at age 40, he becomes king? What's the first thing David does? He stands before the people. This is like, you know, when we have a new president, he spins, stands before the people and he shares in the inauguration, whatever it's called. Yeah, I think that's it. He shares, this is what's about to happen, the State of the Union type deal, right? And David says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring back the ark for our fathers forsook it. What is he saying? We're going to bring the presence of God back into our lives 
And we're going to put it at the center of what we do. He's fighting for that place of intimacy. And the principle that I want you to understand today within the story of David is, if you make much of God, God will make much of you. Many of us, man, we're going we're gonna to spend our whole lives and it's all going to amount to a two-inch signature on a piece of paper. And I don't know about you, but I want to live my life for something more than that. I want God to be at the center. I ask God, God, just corner me. I have felt that way. It's like God is cornering us with this intimacy message. Like, just continue to keep it about me and fight to see me, to behold me. I'll die on this mountain. Because we have, we have made church about behavior modification instead of beholding the one who changes us. This will change you. It will change you. I know it sounds abstract, but, but this is why it offends. Because it's not meant for you to understand it. That's why we are called people of faith. Because we step into something that we cannot understand. I don't know how I can say words as an 18-year-old drug addict and my life be changed. Do you get that? And so David creates an environment at the center of a city where God is dwelling. And he pulls into his time something that wasn't yet available. I'm believing this for Tampa. I'm believing that Tampa Bay is going to become a habitation for the Lord. Where he dwells, where he rests, because he has found the people who are fully captivated and satisfied with who he is. I'm telling you. You're giving your life and you feel discouraged. You feel lost. You feel hopeless. And you're going through this cycle. And it's because you're giving your heart to things that will never satisfy. There's no amount of money, no amount of fame. There's no relationship. Nothing will be able to fill the God-sized hole in your heart. Only him. So David knew this. Because when everybody else rejected him, he was in a field. And so at 40 years old, he goes, I'm going to go back and I'm going to build a tent. And I'm going to believe that what I had on the field would now be available to a nation of people. And you see him spend millions upon millions of dollars with 24-7 worship and prayer in a tent. And we're in the tabernacle of Moses, which we talked about last week. God sent God set up a tabernacle, and there was an outer court, inner court, holy of holies. Only a few people were allowed to be in the place where God's presence really dwelt. David said, no more. David sets up a tent. He puts the ark in the tent, and he goes, now everybody can come to the party. And I feel like this is what he's saying to us this morning. Will you step into the tent? Will you, what am I saying? Will you live your life in proximity to his presence? Will you make time, make space? I'm not saying that you have to stop, like, go fishing. Go do everything you want to do. Have fun, have a life. Uh, we go to Disney, right? We, have, we do things. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is, is God pleased with the way we're living our life? You will never know this unless you spend time with him. Am I, am I making sense to you here? 
So David builds God a tent, and you see for years and years, and you would see this pattern. Every time the people of God would reestablish David's tent, by David's tent, I'm meaning, I want to give you very, make it very clear. Every time they would make the presence of God the priority for the nation, the nation would be in revival and abundance and favor. Every time. Every time they lost sight, this is a principle for us. Every time they lost sight of that which was most important, the nation went into disarray. We often say around here, man, we are a one-thing people. We're a one-thing. When they sing about it today, you are our one-thing. But the problem is, to have a one-thing God, there cannot be many things. Think about your life right now. I'm talking to Gio. This is not me preaching at you. We're on this journey together. How many things are standing in the way of God being the one thing? For every single one of us, it's different. For some of us, it's the attachment, the lures of life. For some of us, it's our insecurities. You really just don't believe that God wants you. (laughs) How could you love someone that you don't really believe loves you? Think about that dynamic. For some of us, we've been disappointed with the Lord. If we were to be honest, we're disappointed with the Lord right now. And you're like, I just can't give my heart to that again. And yet in the midst of all of that stuff, I believe we have an opportunity to present ourselves to the Lord. In the Old Testament, there would be sacrifices, right? Thank God we don't have lambs and goats and we're like, you know, be messy, blue carpet. But, but in the New Testament, the Bible is clear that we become the sacrifice. We become, it's like our lives become the offering. And it's like, God, you can do with me. Like, here's what I know. When that lamb was killed, it wasn't speaking on the way to the altar. <laughs> that lamb was dead. And what, I believe what God is asking, like, will you make much of me? Like, will you live your life around my presence, and will you fight? I want to read one more passage of Scripture, Psalms 27. This is another one that I believe really exemplifies the heart of David. You can go there, Psalms 27. I want you to see this. Hey, Covey, you can come back and help me, bro, whenever, please. Psalms 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I fear? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? This is David speaking this to himself. Are you, are you, are you seeing this? He's encouraging himself in the Lord. When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart, my heart, will not be afraid. You hearing this? What's the situation David finds himself in? He's surrounded by enemies. (laughs) He's in a a bad spot. Like it's not Disneyland for for David at this moment in his life. And he says this, even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Say confident. Why? You got to ask yourself, why? 
the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in his house, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when trouble comes and he will hide me in a sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock and then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer up sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing praises and praising the Lord. Then he says, hear me as I pray, O Lord, and be merciful and answer me. I want you to see this. My heart has heard you say, come, say come. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, I am coming. You hear that? In the midst, in the midst of all the pressure, in the midst of all the world is throwing at you this year, right now, in your life, I believe the voice of the Lord is saying to you, will you come? And will you talk with me? I believe the Lord has things to say to you and about you that you've been longing to hear. I'm telling you, it's like this, will you awake to the reality that God is not mad at you? And he's longing, you gotta just shut the noise for a second and hear him say, come. And David says, my heart, because it starts here. Many of us, we've been doing this crap, man. It starts here. He says, my heart says, yes, I will come. When that lady, actually it was a gentleman, when he was sharing that story about that lady in Iran, my heart just sunk. Because I know that The enemy doesn't have to destroy your life. He really doesn't. The enemy does not have to destroy your life and cause havoc to happen in order for you to not stand before the Lord and hear well done. All he has to do is keep you distracted. When my son was small, he would always cry. Whenever we would leave, so instead of just leaving and saying, well, do what you got to do, we would distract him. We would bring him over and show him some stuff. And then we would slip out the door and we would leave. And I feel like that's what the enemy's done to many of us. It's like the Lord is walking past us. The, the enemy's like, here, just do this. Maybe if you gain a little influence over here, you do some ministry, heal some people here, give a couple of good prophetic words here. And all in the midst, God is like, man, will you come talk with me? Will you come be with me? You know what I don't read in the story of David's tabernacle? How he had set up 27 steps on how to be a Levite in the tabernacle. He just created a space for people to come dwell in his presence and he trusted that would be enough. And it all boils down to that. It all boils down to that. Is God really enough for you?
what God has for you. But according to John 15, he will prune every branch. And some of the rejection and some of the hurt and some of the stuff, it's just pruning. And really, when we really get down to it, it's really just God answering your prayers. We come into this room like, God, I want you to be holy. And he starts to cut everything. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That sucks. But he, he's faithful to answer what you pray. So can, I just want to share. I got one minute. I want to share where I feel like we're at personally right now. I was at a conference, I told you, and... Um, one of my heroes started praying over me and he started sharing about how God is building a root system. How many of you know a tree is only as strong on what's up as what's going down? In order for it to be, in order for it to grow up high, it's got to grow down low or else it'll topple over. And he started talking about this root system that God was building, but he was talking about how his church, he had gone through a season called it of dying a thousand deaths I know we don't like to talk about this kind of stuff in the church if you want to hear just messages that make you feel good there's 50 other churches but he talked about dying a thousand deaths so that he can be fully alive to the person God had created him to be and I just wept because I don't want to end up like Saul trying to build my own kingdom the inheritance of a David was Solomon. And when Solomon became king, all the nations were blessed because of Solomon. But when Solomon was king, the nation was so blessed that they didn't even know what to do with the silver, so they just threw it on the side of the road. Could you imagine? It's like, we're so blessed, we're just like, yeah, 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 here's a, here's a, here's a hundred bucks. You better stop. We're not there yet, we're not there yet. illustration purposes but that's what I'm after like I want I want Judah to be able to step into something that we had to fight for I don't want Judah to fight for it Judah's my son I just want Judah to be able to step in and be able to experience glory intimacy and, and nearness with the Lord if Judah's inheritance when I pass away is a ministry then I've failed oh I failed it's got to be the reality of the person of Jesus and nothing less so let's stand I just want to pray over you guys out our hands just like we're just going to receive <sighs> Jesus we just ask you God to make us into a people that are fully satisfied with you not just on Sunday mornings not just on Wednesday nights but on Monday and Tuesday when we gotta get on with our routine, would you make in us a people 
Father, I ask that those that are willing to go on the journey, that you would prune us until it's you and only you. Lord, we don't want to be lulled to sleep by comfort, by messages that make us feel good. We want to feel good and we want to be affirmed, but by seeing you, Jesus, help us. Make us a people that are after your heart. This is not about perfection. This is about willingness. Are you willing to give him all? The brokenness, the pain, the insecurity, the frustrations, all. Give us grace, Have mercy. Have mercy, Lord.